Hey guys, welcome back to the Big Purple Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Pritchard. I'll be with you guys again today. Uh, as always, I want to thank Anchor for always sponsoring our videos. If you guys want to get a quick and easy podcast going, it's real simple. You download it, and then you fill out a few questions, get some information about yourself, and you hit start, and it's ready to go. And as always, anchor.fm to get your download. All right, let's get it started. So guys, as many of you know, and I know this is a prepper channel, but as of right now, we're in a bit of a chaos situation. Uh, We've still got a lot of people that are hoarding things. I'm seeing a lot of people that are doing the right thing and limiting stuff, um, which I was actually watching a video today um, of, I think it's Jaime... Ibanez or Ibanez, he's in Dallas, Texas. Um, he actually has his own vending machine, um, little side hustle, I guess. And um, they're only letting him buy one case of different types of items. So it's probably affecting his business and different business owners the same way. If you're, you know, buying foods and things like that for your business, and you know, they may make exceptions, but. I can see smaller businesses having trouble having to make multiple trips in a day, different things like that. Um, But what I want to talk about today is during this coronavirus thing, I just want to give some updates um, at the particular hospital I'm working at. And I just want to say, just full disclosure, I love taking care of people. I do. I love getting them when they're really sick and seeing them walk out. I don't even like seeing people get in wheelchairs. When they say, I don't want a wheelchair, I walk them downstairs, whether the policy says so or not. I love to see someone walk out on their own. It just it makes my day, and it makes me know that I was a part of something big. So we've had a lot of restrictions. I think a lot of hospitals have. And the restrictions change day after day. So one restriction was with visitors and we started off with we're going to restrict the number of visitors to two visitors per patient at a time they couldn't have their entire family in there um, and you had to be at least 14 to come in a couple days later they actually changed it and you had to be 18 and you could only stay for 30 minutes i think they changed it a few more times but now hospital-wide you can't have a visitor unless you were deathly ill you were you will be dying within the next few hours or if you're if you have like a small child that obviously can't be there without their parent because they'll climb out of the bed fall out of the bed and all this stuff it's more risk if they don't have someone there so we've got those and the thing of it is is as a nurse the way that things work is normally you come in at 7, and this could vary depending on how many hours you work, but you come in at 7, you get a report, usually you're done, regardless of how many patients you have, about 7.30, 7.45 at the latest, you get done with the report, you sit down, you start looking at all of your meds, you look at all of as many orders as you can, and then at about 8 o'clock, you go ahead and start your rounds, 
Um, I do have some people that as soon as they get there, they go and do assessments on their patients until eight o'clock. Then they start doing assessments and med pass, whatever works for you. Um, but we do that. Um, we start at eight o'clock because you can do an hour before and an hour after. So you have between eight and 10 to do nine o'clock meds. Most people have nine o'clock meds, whether it's 9 a.m. or 9 p.m. So you start with those and then usually 9 a.m. or if you're on the day shift, should I say, you have meds again at like 11 or 12. Um, you have blood sugars to check, which if you have CNAs, most of the time they can check those, but you have to do that at 12. Um, you may have a few throughout the day. Um, three o'clock is a good time that sometimes they put medicines and then five o'clock. And then during the night shift, it varies by hospital, but you're almost guaranteed 9 p.m. meds. And then if they're on antibiotics, it could be all through the night, different times, four hours apart, that type of thing. Um, but most people, it's 9 p.m. and then maybe 6 a.m. If they have like Synthroid or they have um, Protonics or anything like that for their stomachs or um, thyroid and all that type of stuff, diabetic medicines, things like that. So uh, it's kind of how it goes. Now, the problem we run into is enforcing this type of stuff. Now, we have people downstairs that are supposed to be scanning different people and checking them as they come in. Um, but the hospital has many, many entrances and you have people that are sick upstairs that are with their critically ill patient or critically ill family member. And they come downstairs and they go to visit their other family member who is not critically ill. And then somebody has to say something. And then they say they can be here because of so-and-so and it takes up part of your day. And then since they can't be here, they call every 30 minutes. So my time is spent every about three hours, four hours, um, if they have labs that often, a family member will call and say, hey, has the lab come yet? And if it hasn't, I say, no, it hasn't been there. Well, how has she been? And then I talk to her for a minute and hang up. And then an hour later, they call back. Hey, what's the result? And it's all night long. People... Patients do not sleep at night, and family members do not sleep. They wake up to go to the bathroom, and they say, let me call the nurse. I just want to point this out. I care deeply for everyone who's experiencing this, and I wish it was different. But the thing of it is, we cannot physically talk to you guys. Not this much. I can give you a short answer. I can't go over the chart every four hours that you call. I've given you answers. I cannot talk to every single person that calls. You need to have one person and you need to text or call them. We have family that even before this, they'll add five or six people and they'll say, only give information to these people. And a lot of nurses will say, okay, what you're supposed to say is no, you need to direct one person because we're not answering five or six calls on one patient every day. It's not happening or three to four times a day because some people just call I mean, monotonously, just call back, back, back. And it's just so much that happens. You have to worry about getting patients in. There's, there hasn't been a shift I've worked that we haven't gotten an admission. Since I'm a travel nurse, there has not been a shift I've worked that I have not gotten an admission myself. And that's just how it is. And now you throw all this in. As you may recall from one of the previous episodes, I had a patient's wife that was in there who... I don't, I don't mean to sound mean, 
but I had to get real with the hospice nurses and the daytime nurses because they were letting this lady stay who was his wife, you know, and I, I understand that, that she needed to be there and everything. But in reality, this guy has been dying for two weeks and he's a lot closer to dying because they're not feeding him now. But the problem is he's been dying for two weeks and she's been staying there and they've been letting her stay there. And this lady has developed a cough. And one of the rules is, is this, if you're sick, you can't be there. It doesn't matter what's going on. If you're sick, we don't take chances. We also had a patient the other day that came up and we always have these crazy family members call. There's always somebody that's, that calls. When I worked in Mississippi, there was somebody that would call and ask about a certain patient and say, well, is he dead yet? And that was how they would ask. And it just, it blew my mind that people would talk to other people like that. But we had another person whose room I didn't go in, but his wife was there and he's been coughing. And they said, well, he's, he's probably got a cold or something. We're not thinking nothing about it. So then his wife calls and says, hey, um, my daughter, who's a nurse, has coronavirus and she has been in contact with him you might want to test him for coronavirus and then the nurse sits down with the charge nurse and tells him that and she looks at the patient's chart and says well he's been here two days why didn't she tell us this two days ago how many people could he have infected in those two days and you get to thinking about it if you have somebody that's in there and they're infected you have a respiratory therapist that goes in that one respiratory therapist service half a hospital. So potentially half the hospital off the bat can be infected. You have a lab tech who draws the blood. And they work in three groups of three or four. So between 25 and 33% of the hospital, if not more, just from them could be infected. Now you have that nurse. We have 23 beds on our unit. You have the nurse that goes in and you have a patient that could be positive, she contact, contracts it, goes to her other five patients, passes it to them, comes back out to the nurse's station, walks by us, passes it to us. We sit on the same counter that she does. We use the same computers that she does. We touch our face all the time. I counted one time in like four hours. I had touched my face like 20-something times. It's unreal how much I touched my face and didn't even notice it. But so that means all of the nurses on the unit. And if we had a full unit, all 23 beds would be infected. Now, if that was the case and we had family members still in there, they could leave the hospital. People that are discharged from the hospital the next day could leave. And once they leave, they can go infect other people. It's crazy. Now, the good news is. They got him out of there as soon as they found out because all of a sudden his temperature spiked and they didn't know why. They said they'd have no clue what's going on. Let's get him out of here. It might be coronavirus. They got him out. They tested it. He didn't have anything. We're all good. So it was really scary. And the, the fact of the matter is these are the questions that need to be asked on admission. Have you been in contact with anyone who has had coronavirus, you need to ask this in the ER. 
And if you have, you need to be tested immediately. It does not need to wait two days or have someone randomly call because I feel like that is that it should be a, it should be illegal because you could have just cost all these people their lives. You could have made these people super sick, cost them their jobs, because at this point, we really don't know as healthcare professionals what happens when we get coronavirus. Because, see, everyone that's home right now, if you get coronavirus, you get over it. And then when your job opens back, you go back to work. Well, our job never closed. So when we get coronavirus, of course, we're off for at least two weeks. Um, travel nurses more than likely have their contracts canceled because of that. Um, and we still get paid for another two weeks. But then when you get hired somewhere, you have to disclose that you had coronavirus and it's probably not a protocol for it just yet. I know people that are getting it, but it hasn't been more than like two weeks since you first started hearing about nurses getting it. So how long do you wait? They keep expanding the incubation period of this. So, you know, I heard um, the uh, CEO, I think he is, of the... Um, infectious disease some something or another i forget what the guy's name is dr fossey i think is his name he said that if you had it or you have it you should still go to work and you should just wear a mask and you should protect yourself from giving it to somebody else i don't agree with that but i think after you get it i think it's, you should have to wear your masks for a while and i think everyone is starting to um we got fitted the other day for our, for our N95s, and I got my N95. I've got to shave tomorrow just to make sure it seals well. And, uh, yeah, so we're going to be wearing those from now on. And I've got some custom masks coming in because there's still not a lot. As I said before, usually when you get a mask, you put it on, you help with your patient, and then... You throw your mask away and you walk out. Now, if your patient calls you back in, the CNA comes in, the lab tech comes in. You need a second lab tech because they couldn't get the thing. They couldn't get the draw. Respiratory comes in. X-ray comes in with two or three people. Um, management comes in. Day shift nurses come in. Different consults, different doctors. I mean, you could easily go through a box or two of masks easily. I would say no fewer than a box of masks a day. And possibly two masks, two boxes of masks a day. And they're pretty much limiting, limiting us to one mask per day. Or not even per day. It's one mask until it's like raggedy, basically. So there are going to be people that catch this coronavirus just from the lack of supplies. And I don't know that it will be a... I don't know that you can sue somebody for it. Because it's a nationwide shortage. And... I just I don't know. I don't think that you'll be able to. I don't think you'll be able to sue the hospitals for this. I think it's just one of those things. I think if someone dies, you might have a bigger chance. But just because you got sick, I don't see it happening. So one of the new um, policies they put into place is before you come to work every shift, um, when you walk into the building, there's a desk. And there's been a desk um, since all of this has started. 
and anyone that's coming into the hospital has to be free and clear of symptoms and they get checked um their temperature checked when they come in and now all of the staff members have to do that as well so if the staff member comes in and they're running a fever they don't get to work um so that's going to be something new um and I know there's going to be some people that take Tylenol because they can't afford to be, you know, at home, which probably opens up another can of worms in itself. But, um, but during this time, I've started noticing we can get back to more of the um, prepper side of this. Um, I've started to notice that supplies are starting to be restocked. Um, toilet paper still not so much. Paper towels are coming back. Um, little bits and pieces of bleach a lot of the canned foods are back i'm still seeing shortages of rice and beans here um gas is like a super like all-time low for me um i don't think gas has been this cheap since i've been driving i think when i like a year or two before i first got my license or even a learner's permit um that's when gas kind of shot up so it's it's nice, but at the same time, you've got a lot of people losing their jobs over this, and the economy is going to be kind of bad for a while, but it'll pick back up. So, um, so yeah, I've been watching videos on different bunkers and things like that, and I don't think it's serious enough to get a bunker, and I don't really don't think I'm that serious to pay 500 grand for one. I actually watched a video where um, Atlas Bunkers came in with an expert and they rated their competitor um, on their quality of their unit. And of course, you know, if they're rating their competitors bunkers, it's going to be no nothing but negative stuff. But when you saw the bunker, it was awful. Um, so what I learned basically from that video is any seams that you have in your bunker you want them welded shut you don't want them just bolted with silicon you want it welded shut just because you don't want any water you don't want anything um you know leaking in they also stated that um radiation can actually get into a bunker it can travel through um like 35 inches of dirt i think at 36 inches you're fine at that point so your bunker needs to be at least three foot in the ground. And they said this particular bunker was like 18 inches. And they said all of Atlas's is between six and 10 feet. So they're a little overkill, but I think it's worth it. Um, also, they, they put in like air circulation systems. And uh, the particular one they were looking at didn't put out a whole lot of air. And they said it wasn't positioned right. They said if you don't have air circulating um, especially where you sleep, which makes sense to me being a nurse. Um, if you don't have oxygen circulating, your CO2 builds up. When your CO2 builds up, um, you can become toxic and basically die from it. Um, basically CO2 poisoning. Um, and you can also start getting crazy, um, getting delirious, things like that. I see that all the time. I had a patient the other day that she stood up out of bed, fell f face first onto the floor, and she said, I'm, st I'm still trying to go get a cigarette. And I was like, no, you're not. You're in the hospital. 
yeah, no, I'm not. I'm, I'm at home, blah, blah, blah. Well, her CO2 was like 50-something, which normal CO2 is like 22 to 28, I think it is. So hers is almost double the, the high on it. So that was one thing I learned from that. Um, oh, as an update, um, I bought a canner. I didn't want to buy this particular canner because I, it's, it's a Presto canner. Um, and I don't think it's, I think it does the job that you want it to. But from what I'm seeing is like after a few uses, the bottom of the can or the canner um, starts to bulge a little bit because it's like a thinner metal it's not like one of those all-american canners but i i found one the box was torn up there was nothing wrong with it and its normal price was like 80 dollars, and it was on sale for 46 and i said well i don't have one i'd like to get started in it i'll spend 46 dollars. this will be an experiment then later on when my wife allows me to i'll spend 300 400 on the all-american canner so I loaded up on some um, some mason jars. I got the uh, ball jars. It was either ball, cur, or some off-brand. And I was told, don't use the off-brand because it's like a thinner, a thinner glass and you don't want to take the risk of it exploding. Um, I heard ball and cur were both fine, but I've, I've heard of ball all my life. I think I'll just go with that. It's more of like a Ford and Chevy thing. You can argue day and night which is better, but in reality, they're both good vehicles. It's the same same way with Ball and Kerr. They're both good. Just want, somebody prefers one over the other. That's all it is. Um, I still haven't brought all my food inside yet. Still got a good bit outside. Um, I'm kind of, I don't want to really say under the weather. I'm not sick. It's just I, I slept wrong or something, and my stomach is just hurting like it's a it's just a pain. Like it feels like my, my abdomen is ripped or something. Like it just, it hurts. So I, I don't know what that's about. Um, I've had it happen before and it takes a few days normally. I think it's just the way I lay in bed sometimes. Me being a bigger guy, I think I put way too much pressure on my stomach and uh, it just kind of bruises on the inside and like really hurts. So it'll, it'll get better. Um, well, yeah, I've been home for five days i think um i've still got tomorrow that i'll be home and then i head back um to to work so i'll have to look up some topics for another video so i can make one or not a video but a podcast for another podcast the way we can kind of talk about it um on the road and uh as far as today goes um it's just more of like an update on life it's uh Talking about the things that we have to deal with in the hospital. Uh, and, you know, it's to, to anybody who's a new nurse, you know, it's it gets pretty bad. You know, you got we learn how to do things in nursing school. But when you get out into the real world, it's so many things that like just impede your ability to do stuff. You see somebody and they have two meds all night. And it might take you all night long to do care on this patient. Plus, you have all these other patients. And it's just unreal. Um, somebody also told me that California is considering being a compact state, which I think is false, but I haven't really fact-checked it. Um, I don't know what that'll mean. 
um, especially for prices in California, they might still be the same just because it's so expensive to live there. But I could see a whole lot of nurses going to California um, just because of the benefits they provide. Like, it's crazy the benefits you get. Um, They have, like, super, super good patient ratios. Like, you never go over anything over eight hours in a day is overtime. So if you work 12-hour shifts, you get four hours of overtime every day. Um, I think you get like an hour break or you get two 30 minutes break per shift. Um, which is great. Uh, but yeah, it, I still think in some of the states it's getting pretty bad. Excuse me, I think it's getting bad. Louisiana is still bad. Um, I think Mississippi is going to a um, stay-at-home order tomorrow, if I'm not mistaken. Louisiana already has one. Um, California has a pretty strict one. But I've seen that their curve is starting to flatten in California, so that's good. Um, Recently, North Dakota has put out something that said, if you're traveling from any of these particular states, you have to self-quarantine for two weeks once you come to North Dakota. And it was basically like all of the southern United States and like a little bit of the Midwest. So I advise everybody to stay home. Don't do much traveling. I'm still seeing a bunch of people posting on Facebook that this isn't as bad as, as this. This isn't as bad as this. This happened in the in the past. It wasn't even as bad. And now people are overreacting. Look, I, I think of it. Every time I hear somebody say that, I think of it as they drop a bomb on a city and it kills a million people. And then there's somebody standing at the news the news desk and they say, oh, well, you know, back in Hiroshima, they killed three million people and they just move on. Like a million people is pretty significant. And as right now, they're, they're saying it could be as much as two to three hundred thousand deaths. So... You guys be careful. Don't go to don't go to your parents' house. Don't go to your sister, your brother, any of that. Just stay home if you can. If you're an essential worker with a basic paycheck like myself, um, go to work, but protect yourself. If you can get a mask, even if you've got to wear the mask every single day, um, if you've got like a painting mask, it's a respirator, wear that. Wear a bandana, wear a scarf, do anything that you can. And it sucks. I can tell you for a fact, wearing a mask over your ears for 12 hours for six consecutive days, my ears have broken down and have almost started bleeding. It hurts so bad. So I'm wanting to move to some other type of mask, but there's just not none available right now. So everybody just stay safe out there. Um, thank you guys for listening to the podcast, by the way. We had an all-time high on one of my episodes, um, 10 listeners, which was crazy. Um, first time in double digits. Um, usually we're, we're getting a couple, a couple listens to everyone. I actually had somebody named Kevin favorite the podcast. I didn't even know you could do that. So, uh, thank you guys for listening. Thank you guys for, you know, all your support. Uh, I don't, I don't plan on selling anything on here. 
So just support me by listening. I really appreciate that. I don't get much money from this. I think, I, like I said on the last one, I think I've earned about 15 cents. And we're on episode 8 or 9. I think it's 8. So <laughs> I'm not making a bunch of money, but it is pretty fun to do. And if you guys are interested, go to anchor.fm and download the app. Do it on your phone. Do it on your computer. Um, available on Google and Apple devices. So, once again, thank you guys. We're going to end it here. I'm going to try to get, come up with a catchy title or something to help us get a few more listens. And I'll holler at you guys in a few days.